Session 5, Facing Death. The wise person gratefully lives all the days he or she is granted. This is one of those topics that we don't like to talk about or discuss. Um, for some reason, our nature is to avoid death and anything that has to do with it, except around Halloween. Then we kind of embrace the idea of it, but we still don't talk about it. We make fun of it. We make skeletons. We have ghosts. Uh, I like to put those little tombstones out front and turn our yards into cemeteries and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's okay. But to actually talk about death is kind of a taboo. I mean, you don't really, I mean, think about it. Have you ever sat down and talked about it with your kids? Yes. Yeah? It's not usually one of those uh, big conversations. Usually it happens when somebody in the family dies and you got to go to the funeral, so you explain the, the whole thing to them um, about it. But Solomon is winding up the book, and it's coming to a head. And he decided that he needed to give us perspective on death. Now, we have to remember, as we look at this this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, Solomon knows nothing about Christ. He doesn't know about his death and his resurrection. He is looking at this solely from an Old Testament perspective. And as we look at this, we need to understand it and then take what he is telling us and look at it in, with the lens of the New Testament. Um, because death doesn't have the same meaning anymore. <laughs> because Christ has solved that problem. So we'll look at that in those terms this morning. So first we'll look at it as Solomon presents it, and then we'll talk about it in light of what Christ has done. So... Let's uh, jump right in and get this started. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Somebody read those for us, please. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Okay, all of this, he's referring to the entire body of work he has just laid out. We've looked at parts of it through this book as he's looked at the different avenues of life and knowledge and his search for wisdom. And he has examined it all and he comes to this, the end, where death comes. 
and he finds a few things. This is uh, part three of the outline, Wisdom Gained in the Search. As he has been trying to find wisdom, he's found some, and this is the sober truth that he is uh, dealing with, and it, is, it should be sobering. He tells us everyone dies. People are surprised, I think, at least <laughs> non-believers, that when, when loved ones die, and they, they act as if we're going to live forever in this world. Um, certainly 20-year-olds. <laughs> we did uh, our time in Korea. We worked with a lot of Air Force guys. and You get a lot of those young guys that are there in their 20s, and they're convinced and act like they're going to live forever. I remember being 20 and thinking I was indestructible and immortal. Now I'm just, no, I'm immortal. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's the sort of thing. But they get surprised when one dies, particularly when they're young. Nobody gets out of life alive. That, I mean, that's just a hard and fast truth. And Solomon says that after examining everything, the event happens. I mean, he calls it the event. It's, that's it. It's the big event. I think oftentimes, we as believers get caught up in doing things. We get caught up with this idea that um, we can usher in the eternal kingdom right here, right now. And we won't have to die. Uh, I think a lot of Christians fall into that. Good works won't stop death. But there are a lot of people out there that have this mentality. If I could just do enough, it'll bring heaven on earth and we won't, nobody will die. And people, you know, or they, they, they think that if I, I just do enough good works, death won't come, God won't come. You get these little, the, the little old ladies, we had a lot of old aunts. And they would go to mass every day. And they would spend hours doing the rosary. If I could just be good enough, you know, it, it, I won't die. Well, that's kind of Solomon's point. Uh, good people die. Bad people die. It, it's irrelevant. We can't put it off through good works, though we try. But also the other, the other thing that's true is healthy choices will not add one day. We can make healthy choices and maybe have a better life, but it won't extend our lives. That is the push. I have a doctor. She's, uh, she's always after me. Well, don't you want to live longer? Like, I'm not living one minute longer than God wants. The, I have an expiration date. It was set before I was even born. At the foundation of the world, God knew when I was going to live, how long I was going to live, and what the circumstances are. He knew all of that. It was set. Now, I can be unhealthy. I mean, the other's not true. And have a miserable life and be in pain and, and, and all that. But I can't live longer. We all have an expiration date. We all have a point at which... Our usefulness to God is finished, and he calls us home, which is really what I'm wanting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for that. And Now, see, that's the part of Solomon 
as we look at this, that he doesn't have. He doesn't see the fact that God calls us home because they didn't know about entering heaven. It was, it was not really a possibility to them in their mindset because of sin and all that. Christ hadn't come yet. They hoped to see God, but they didn't have the assurance that we have now because of what Christ did. As we look at the sobering truth, everyone dies, good works don't stop death, healthy choices don't add a day, the next life is in God's hands as we all die and are judged. Now Solomon got that, he knew that. That was clear from his study and understanding. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears, being that they take a vow, uh, a religious vow um, is the idea there. Uh, or the one who shuns the oath, the one who doesn't make vows to God. You know, service uh, to them. Uh, the same event happens to everyone. He talks about the children having evil in their hearts. They, we, we're all, don't do well. We're all sinners. The whole idea of Romans but God knows, and he's going to judge it. That's the hope. That was the hope that the Old Testament had, was the judgment of God, that there is, um, that there is a righteous God who will weigh out everything that we did and didn't do. That's a sobering truth. When you realize that it doesn't matter who you are, I don't care how many billions you have, Bill Gates is going to die. Soros is going to die. Um, but so is all the saints. The little old ladies who spend hours a day in prayer. They're all going to die. The sobering truth is, is that we will all stand before God and be judged. The part that Solomon didn't know is that those of us who have accepted Christ will be ushered in to heaven those that reject him and that evil heart has persisted their lives through are not. They're going to go to hell, which is sobering in and of itself when we realize those are the only two options. God sovereignly rules over our lives. Our surroundings give us no clue as to what God really thinks of us. We cannot use our circumstances to determine if God loves us or hates us, accepts us or rejects us. In this world, all we can do is evaluate what we've done in lieu of what Scripture tells us. God's in charge. He runs this place. We have his word, which he gave us, to evaluate. But that is the only thing we have. The whole prosperity gospel. Well, if you're godly enough, if you have enough faith, you'll have your health, you'll have wealth, you'll have prosperity, all those things. Those are circumstances that 
we want to use to determine whether God's pleased with me. Well, see, I'm doing well, so God must like me. Really? The most evil person you can think of thought that they were doing well. And life was going good for them. Does that mean that God was pleased with them? I mean, the, there are people living on the streets that are good people, that have done well, that have served God, but they, for some reason, are broke. And they live on the street. Does that mean God's not pleased with them? Did they not do enough? What about the person who never darkens a doorstep of a church their entire life and becomes a multimillionaire? Does that mean God is pleased with them? We don't know what God thinks of us. What we cling to, what we hold to, is what Jesus did. See, we become irrelevant. We don't like that idea, particularly in our culture. <laughs> Thank you. The ran away from me. Can't believe how far it went. Scott <laughs> Thank you. We don't know how sinful we really are. I mean, let's face it. We've all told the lie. We've all picked up paper clips and took them home or whatever from the office. There, there's something. We all have done something. How much does God hate it? We just know he hates it. How acceptable are we? The only thing that makes us acceptable is what? Christ. Yeah, his blood covering our sins. We don't know what it is. That's why we need him. Whether we live a long life or a short life, let's face it, it, it is awful when a child dies. But was that child such a sinner that, that God took them from the earth? Or is it just part of some larger plan that we don't understand? See, that's what's so sobering about this. Because we have to look at this. It's easy to look at evil people and say, yeah, they got what they deserved. <clears throat> we all do that. We all look for something bad to happen to those people. Oh, they got pulled over for speeding. Yeah, they got what they deserved. Bobbing and weaving in and out. Or like Bernie Mandolf, locked up for jail. Yeah, look at how much money he stole from people in his Ponzi scheme, right? Yeah, we think he got what he deserved. And if he would have gotten cancer and died younger, we, we would have been like, yep, yep, that's right. That's what he got. But that's not the right view, is it? Because God doesn't do that. He brings the rain on the just and the unjust. unjust. I mean, we just finished Job. <laughs> do I need to point Job out? Guy was righteous as they could, offering sacrifices for what his children might have thought. Not what they did, or even what they thought they might have. Thought because they had a little too much wine. So let me let me make a sacrifice. And yet he suffered terribly. We live in a world where there's so many things that we can suffer from economically, physically, health, mentally. Uh, we can be abused at work. 
all these things, they are not about whether God loves us or hates us, accepts us or rejects us. I don't know how many times I, I, people tell me about things going on in their lives and they're like, oh yeah, God hates me this week. I think if God hated us, we would know it for sure. Uh, and it would be very clear that he is uh, punishing us. Comments or questions? Uh, a few years I actually prayed, uh, take me up like you did Enoch, I don't want to die. <laughs> and then after a while, you know, I was like, well, how foolish is that? But somebody pointed out, well, Cindy wouldn't get the life insurance here. <laughs> so we're like, well, uh, anyway, when we were talking about Social Security, Cindy said, well, when you're gone, I need this. I mean, like, where am I going? Am I going somewhere? You know, like, to take me out. But, you know, how ridiculous that is. But still I have that kind of thought. Well, just take me, you know, kind of thing. Just let me disappear. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, think about it. What, the, the best step is one where your family around you and you just pass in your sleep. Easy peasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we have that thought. And uh, yeah. it's... It's odd that we, we think that way. Yeah. I was sharing with my nephew during all this COVID stuff. He's been on my case for not getting a shot. <laughs> and I was like, look, I just don't trust it. I'm trusting in God. I'm not going to die before he says it's time, yeah. no matter what I do. Oh, no, no. I'm like, yeah. And I know you aren't a believer. But this is what I believe. And he says, well, thank you for telling me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, He's like a little brother to me. He's only six years younger. So <laughs> I have to be a little, no. <laughs> Not just the aunt. The old auntie. <laughs> the world has a very different view. And they don't want to talk about it. I, we had a cousin. He wouldn't go to funerals. Didn't matter who died. He would not go to funerals because he did not want to address yeah. the fact that we all die. Let's face it, folks. We've got nothing to fear. Death is nothing to us as we know what the afterlife is going to be. We know what God's judgment will be on us because we're believers. That with that being the case, it, it's we're, we're told it's supposed to be a joy to be with Christ. I mean, Paul makes it clear that to not be here is to be present with the Lord, and that that's better, and that he can't wait to go. He's not willing to commit suicide to get there, but, you know, hey, if it happens, great, let's go, yeah. uh, and all that. And I think that we get caught up in this life a little too much. We cling a little too tightly to the stuff of this world, and I'm not ready to die. I don't want to go. Yeah, go ahead, um, You know, you think of a hundred years ago, people would put your body on your dining room table. Uh -huh. and people would come in and pay respects. <coughs> and they would actually see, or, you know, I was raised in a Catholic tradition, you would go to the funeral home and you'd see the body. There's something really scary about that, but yet on the other hand, there's also something that says that person isn't there anymore. That's just a body. Yeah. 
And that, you know, what God's word is trying to teach us is we're more than just our body. We have the spirit that is like a superhero. We're, like you said, we're immortal mm-hmm. because we love Jesus. But I think that that is, you know, people get so traumatized or they think those things are so traumatic, they don't want to be exposed to them like your cousin. Like people choose to not have their children go to funerals or um, we spend so much time trying to avoid the truth. Um, And I don't think it helps us in the long run. Yeah. Did you want to add something? Yeah, like uh, maybe we're a little morose, but we we deal with it every time we go away on vacation because I actually update uh, a spreadsheet that has all of our financials and bequests on it, and we put it together with our life insurance policies, and it's a step-by-step of what to do, and we put it on the keyboard of our computer every time we go away, and, you know, God forbid something happens to us, whoever's going to come in and take care of all that is going to have all the books. I mean, it's something we think about every time we go away, and I don't know, maybe you get numb to it, or maybe it's just focusing on, I'm going to be in a better place. I don't really care. Yeah. But you care about who you leave behind to clean I'm more mess. worried about that, yeah. 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 It's like, for me, it's like, I don't want to go through the process of dying. Yeah, especially if it's a long, drawn-out illness. But in the end, I don't care if I die. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's something as a culture we avoid. Um, and we, 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 we as Christians should be prepared. We should be ready. And it should be looking forward. I know that I have said it over and over again. To, I mean, when I die, I don't want people mourning in my feet. Don't, don't be sad that I'm gone. I, I'm, I'm finally going to go get my reward. <laughs> I'm looking forward to my homecoming uh, because that's what it is. Uh, I don't mind leaving this world. I, 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 my friends and family are Christians. I'm going to see them again. And we will have a joyous reunion. And I want them to party. Uh, you know, celebrate my life and what went on. <laughs> and just all the meaningful, you know, sit around and reminisce about the fun we had. Do that. Remember me in that way. No, don't, don't shed tears for me. Let's move on. We'll just move forward because th- this will clean up as we go along a little bit. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 4 through 6. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Thank you. All right, this is really weird (laughs) as he words this, but let's see if we can clean it up a little bit. Um... Seek life. We, he tells us that everybody dies. That's true. But we shouldn't be rushing towards it. We should seek life. Alive in low station is better than 
powerful and dead. An alive slave is more valuable than a dead king. That's the whole idea there with the dog and the lion. Um, yeah, as we look at life, it's funny. Uh, poor person, a homeless person dies. What happens? Nobody's there. Nobody's there? So what, how, what, what happens with them? Potter's grave. Potter's grave. The, the city. They collect the body. They try to find relatives. <laughs> nobody collects it. It goes out to the county grave. Usually they bury him like three, four deep in one spot. And that's the end of it. Some famous person dies, whether it be movie star, uh, statesman, politician, what happens? <coughs> yeah, big hoop. The world stops and everything for at least a week is about the funeral of this individual, right? What do you think about Prince Philip's funeral? Yeah. Or Princess Diane. Or Diane. I mean, that, that went on for like a month. Yeah, it's actually still going on, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. In a lot of ways. Um, it's news. It's headlines. What's the value of either of them as persons, people? People. They're equal. They're dead. They're of no use to anybody. And give it a week, two, does anybody care? Not really. Just, just their immediate family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They they have no value to society. They have no they, they become equal in death. Death is the great equalizer. If you're rich and powerful in life, great. Enjoy it. Because there's you're as useful and popular and powerful as the dead vagrant. The reason? Alive, we have purpose. We have memory. We can learn. We know things. We can do things. The dead, they kind of just lay there, don't they? That's it. They're done. We should seek life because we have purpose. We have things we can do. It's amazing how many people get so wrapped up, oh, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to die. They, they feel so, they get so to a point that they see no value in living. But I think it's because they don't understand the lack of value in death. I mean, you've got an entire culture of um, the like ultra goth where they, they value death and wish that everything would just die and I mean it's all boring and it, it, it's, it's, they're just absolutely, I don't know if you've ever met people like that and they're just morbid. Not because of they have a fascination with death but because they feel that they have nothing to contribute to society and that you know that there's no reason to live. Uh, the world is just falling apart and all that. Um, no, we, we, we have a, we're alive, we have purpose, we have value. We can do things. <coughs> Solomon tells us, what was it he said? Oh, no, I 
that when you're dead, there is no love. You have no love, no hate, no envy um, forever. They have no more share in what's done under the sun. And now that's even true with Christ. When we die, we have no more connection to this world. Remember the rich man? <coughs> told the story. He wanted to send, he wanted to go back and tell his brothers. We have no, there's nothing more we can do in this life. We've got to get it all done now. You got right this moment <coughs> to do all that there is to do before you die. I think we wait, we chase after, and we talked about this last week. We think that we're not going to die. We don't look at it that way, and so we waste time. We don't spend enough time with our children. We don't spend enough time. Oh, no, you know what? I'm jumping ahead. We didn't talk about it last week. I'm like, wait, I know. You're all looking at me. I'm getting that look from you guys. Like, <laughs> I don't remember this. I'm like, okay, I know I did it. I'm jumping ahead of my lesson. All right. We have purpose. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. Then we'll talk about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 7 through 10. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it. No one has power over the day of his death. And no one is discharged in time of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. I don't think you're reading oh, right. I'm in eight. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, look at this. I'm like, okay, I know she's reading a different version, and I'm trying to find it. I'm like, <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, wrong column. Okay, next week. No? Okay. Seven. Yeah. Okay. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. And always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. And that rhymes. <laughs> Whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life. And in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do. Do with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. All right, thank you. A uh, couple things, because um, they're not culturally relevant to us. Let your garments always be white. Um, in the Middle East, it is scorchingly hot and exceedingly bright sun because they're down by the equator. White was the preferred color to wear because it reflects the sunshine. It makes you comfortable. So there's a premium on white clothing um, for it. And so he's talking about uh, being comfortable wearing white. That makes you comfortable in the hot. You certainly don't want to wear black, even though we see uh, many of them today in the Middle East with the black hijabs and... and and all the, they didn't have air conditioning back then. They worked mostly outside. You wanted to wear the lightest colored clothing so it would absorb the least amount of heat. So he's talking about wear comfortable clothing. So whatever comfortable clothing is for you, I like my uh, nice uh, exercise shorts, those, uh, you know, like sweatpants shorts. I love those, those are comfortable. 
a nice loose fitting t-shirt, I'm good. That's, that's comfortable. Stuff me in a suit or tuxedo, oh boy, not my favorite thing. I don't mind wearing it, but it ain't. I don't consider that comfortable. I think Mark Deeroff thinks they're comfortable. <laughs> I have never seen him not wearing a suit coat and all that. I don't think he likes it. Uh, he can keep it. Also, we have uh, let oil not be lacking on your head. Again, Middle East, dry, heat, sand everywhere. Putting the oil on, it's like putting lotion when you, it's in the winter and it's really dry here and your skin starts to crack. Same thing, they used oil, um, they would rub it in in order to make their skin feel good because otherwise it dries, it cracks, it blisters and all that. So make yourself comfortable. Um, let your garments be white, let, your, let not oil be lacking on your head. Be just enjoy life, be comfortable, that's what he's talking about here. Um, and all that. Let's see, was there another one? No, I think we're all right. Okay, so let's uh, look at this. He gives us the sober truth. He tells us to seek life. And if we're going to seek life, he says, enjoy it. Enjoy it. The idea, make the most of God's provision. God gave this life to us. God gave you your life. And he puts you in the position that you're in. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? To glorify God. That is the great Sunday school answer. How are we meant to glorify God? Right now, everybody conjured up an image. Loving others. Okay, loving others, sure. Enjoying the world he created for. Exactly, that's it. Cindy, you hit it right on the head. God gave it, he created this world for one reason. And one reason only. For us. He created everything, and then he created Adam. And he said, look, here's the whole world. I want you to go out and enjoy it. Take care of it. Eat every tree that's in the garden. It is yours. You are in charge. We are the kings of this world. It belongs to us. We don't belong to it. That's what we're taught right now. Our society since the 70s has been teaching, and it might have started before that, that we are a parasite in this world, that we are the problem. You have eco people <laughs> out there that tell us that the world would be a better place if we eliminated all humans. There, I mean, and that is the mantra of the world, and that is so contrary to the purpose that God created us. It's for us to enjoy. This world belongs to us, both for its keeping and its enjoyment. God gave us life to enjoy in order to find fulfillment in him. We are to find our fulfillment in life in him because that brings, say it again, <laughs> glory, to God. glory to God. We are to bring glory to God, but we do that by living the life to its fullest in relation to him. And if we are not living a life to the fullest, if we're 
so tied up and worried about the small stuff and, and things like that. And we're just not, oh, I'm not going to do that. Why? Well, I, I you know, I, it, might, it might cause my death. It might do this. We, we start not enjoying life. I mean, some of the most miserable people are like the healthiest people. You know, I, I jog 10 times a day. I only drink kale shakes. They're miserable. They are not enjoying life. It's like, when did you last enjoy something you ate? What is the point if you don't enjoy it to eating it? Well, but I can live longer. So your whole life is wrapped up in trying to make yourself live longer. Solomon's saying, no, you can't. You, you, you were born with an expiration date. Enjoy life. Because if you're not enjoying life, you're not enjoying God. And if you're not enjoying God, you're not going to glorify him. We glorify God by loving others, by doing things for others and making others happy. And that's how you show God to yeah. others. And we, we won't do that if we're too tied up with ourselves and are miserable. We have to get out of that cycle. We have to forget what the world is trying to teach us. That we are here to enjoy his creation in order to glorify him. Secondly, we do this just as Patty was saying. We have to enjoy companionship, the comforts, and we need to be content with what it is we have. Those are how we enjoy life. The person living by themselves on an island all by their onesies are not very happy people. People who live only sitting in their houses and they don't get out and they don't do people, we've just come through some of the harshest conditions as individuals to suffer with this COVID, that you, they couldn't get out to see friends, family, even just go for a walk wasn't, wasn't considered good. And a lot of people are suffering mentally from this because companionship, and this is something Chris is pushing, that we were meant not to be alone. I mean, God said it was not good. We have to have some sort of companionship. Whatever comforts we have, God gave them to you. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. There's no reason not to enjoy. We've gotten this mentality that we need to be miserable people, that poverty is more spiritual, that uh, all, these, all these things that we, we have, that I can be more godly if I have less. Okay, maybe I don't need everything that I have, but it doesn't necessarily make me more godly. Because he put us at whatever level he put us at and said, here it is. This is what you got. Some he gave 10 talents. Some he gave five. Some he gave one. Does that mean the guy with 10 should live like the guy who's got one? Or should he live like a guy who's got 10? God gave him 10. He should enjoy 10. And the guy who's got one should enjoy one. And he shouldn't look at the guy with 10 and say, hey, you know what? That's not fair. And they shouldn't be looking at the guy who's got one and go, oh, look how godly he is. Uh, that, that's the world trying to rank things. God gave all of us our own things. And then there's this whole bit about the wife. Your wife is not compensation, he's saying. It's not our stuff, but it's our enjoyment of our life that is compensation. Having a good wife, we should enjoy that. Having a good husband, enjoy that. That companionship is meant to be enjoyed. If you have stuff, enjoy it. 
we've come through a generation that it was a matter of accumulating stuff. And so we have storage sheds and places where we just stockpile it. I've got all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Have you ever taken it out and used it? No, but I have it. Uh, there, there are people who have 10, 15 cars, you know, the fancy sports cars. They have like showrooms for garages. What's the point? Have you ever taken one out and drive it? Oh, no, it's too expensive. I never did that. Are you enjoying that? Uh, you know, the, the rest of us are like, I just need another car. <laughs> yeah. You got 15 and you don't drive any of them. You have a chauffeur who picks you up in a company car every day. What's the point? People, oh, this is, this is the one that really it, it gets my goat. You go to people's houses. They have the fanciest kitchens. I mean, these kitchens are huge. They got all the cool gadgets and toys. And I'll say, them, oh, you're really into cooking, right? Oh, no, I've never used this kitchen. What's the point? <laughs> I've acquired stuff. You need to enjoy it. I'm like, dude, I got like the galley kitchen. I would love just another couple feet of counter space because we cook. We, we make our own tomato sauce. I'm getting ready to make cranberry sauce. Uh, it's just, I love to, I love to cook. My wife loves to cook. Uh, I love to eat too, but I, you know, <laughs> these people, it's like, I made toast and stand over the sink. They've never used their dishes. You know people like this. Like, do they enjoy what they have? That's what Solomon's like. Enjoy it. If you got it, enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, don't get it. But we, we get caught up in the world and what they, what they say. And so we got to have this. I wonder how many people have these really big houses and all that. Who would be content with something smaller? But because, well, I'm rich, I've got to have the big house. But they would be happy in a little smaller bungalow or whatever because that's just all they want. It's all they want to you know, do. But the world says we got to do this. We need to learn to enjoy what we have, whatever it is and however it goes. Um, our spouses, our stuff, our children, we should, we should do that. One more note. Avoiding the idea of death. I'm taking, roll this all together for us. When we avoid not contemplating our end, and this is, this is us, the individual. When you do not think about it and ponder it, and we should, it leads to an un- planned, pointless life. If we don't think with the end in mind, we just begin thinking, well, it's going to go on and on and on, and it's unplanned. Now, right now, there's a big hoodoo about bucket lists. Um, all right, that, that's not quite what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about the everyday nuts and bolts. An unplanned, pointless life, you've not thought through it, so you don't have a will. You haven't planned how you wish to leave your spouse. And I'm not talking about just financially. I have a set of letters that I have written to my children, to my wife, that are held in trust for the day comes that I die. Not just leaving instructions, but in order for them 
to remember me. The things to remind them in that moment of grief that they can hold on to for however long is necessary. And every so often I write another one and add it to the collection because life situations change um, and things happen. And I update them. Planning. Because I know I'm going to die at some point in time. At some point, my expiration date is going to come. We need to be thinking in terms of that. As we look at life and deciding to do things, is this something that I want to do? Then do it. Enjoy it. Is it an either or? I could spend the time doing this, or I can take this class so I can get promoted and make more money. See, you've got a plan. Where do you want to go? What do you want to remember? When you avoid the idea of death, it makes you careless with your spouse. Oh, there'll be time when we retire. You know how many times I've heard that? Young couples. Oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to work, and we're going to get this, and when we get to this level, we'll be able to retire, and we'll enjoy life. Tomorrow's not guaranteed, people. We don't know. Chasing after the dollar. Look, I'm not saying don't make money. But you got to take the time now to enjoy it. And we don't. And this is why divorce is so high. We get careless with our spouse either way. Male, female, doesn't matter. We, we get busy at work and we don't come home. We get busy doing other things. Maybe it's our, our hobbies whatever it may be, and we, oh, I'm sorry, dear, I couldn't be here to make dinner uh, because my activity was more important than you. Now, occasionally that happens, but when it's a pattern, we think we've got time. We'll have more time later on when I get through with this or that, whether it be climbing the ladder or I get this project done or I finish this thing rather than spending the time with our significant other. He just told us that the, our, we should enjoy them. Are you enjoying your spouse? Are you planning to enjoy your spouse? Not in the future, but now. And it isn't just your spouse. What about your friends? Do you have friends? Do you do things with them? Maybe it's other family members. Or sometimes it's children. You miss out on time with your kids. Oh, there'll be time. They're too little right now. They, don't, they won't even notice. And then they're in elementary school. And, uh, well, you know, they're just an elementary age. Uh, and you miss the play. You miss a little soccer match. They're stupid. It's ridiculous. Why am I wasting my time? Because it's for them. And then one day they're gone or you're gone. And you don't. You missed out on that time. See, when we avoid the idea of death and living with it in our minds, those things become important because I don't know when. It's not just our relationships with family. It's not just our relationships with friends, though. When we avoid the idea of death, it makes you indifferent to your job. What legacy are you leaving behind wherever it is you work? Are you doing a good job? Are you making it 
productive. We're supposed to work for our employers as if we were working for Christ. Are you doing it? Or are you just putting in the time, cranking out the days? See, when we realize that we're going to die at some point, at some point it's going to end, what are we doing? Are we making a difference? Is it important? It may be that you look at the job and go, you know what, this is the wrong job. I'm not making a difference. I'm not doing anything important. And I am just cranking out the days. Maybe you need to change. Find something more meaningful. Because we're going to die. Sometimes just treading water is not enough. One last thing. When we don't think about the idea of death, it keeps us from getting involved. Getting involved here at church, getting involved in our community, getting involved in the larger things of life. Because they seem like, oh, there, there's always time, there's always more time, I'll get around to it, I'll, I'll, I'll join the church, I'll do the church, I'll do things at church when, I, when, when I'm retired or after I get my pension and stuff. When we come up with these ideas, or when I get enough money, or when I get this, we, we come up with these. We could use people for anything in church. There's always things that can be done. Speaking of which, in the next, uh, I think it's two weeks away, we are looking for people to sponsor a car for the trunk or treat. I would love for our class to have a car at the trunk or treat on that Wednesday night for the Awana kids. I know that all of us can't be there because people have things to do Wednesday nights, they gotta work or whatever. Uh, but if we, we, need a, we need one car and we need candy and somebody to stand there and kind of dress up and play somebody. So all the little kids can come around to the cars and they get the treats and all that. It's, we do it for the, not just the Awana kids though, we do it for the community. It's a great outreach to the kids. I'd love to do that. If you're interested, let me know. But that's the sort of thing. We keep from getting involved. Well, I don't really want to do it. Maybe not this year. I'll do it next year. Or I'll do it, you know, put in whatever it is. You don't get involved in the community. There's school boards. We complain about what's going on in the schools. Get involved. Find a candidate that does have the right idea and support them up the sign, whatever. Get involved. Run for candidate yourself. <clears throat> Maybe you got things that you, that you don't want to come out or whatever. Okay. We all have pasts. But there's something you can do. We can volunteer. We can go to the meetings and make a good position known. Right now the radicals are the only ones going to the meetings and they're doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Uh, they need somebody. They need people to show up that aren't one extreme or the other, to bring reason. There are so many things going on out in the world. We complain about them, but we don't get involved. When we understand we're going to die, we're going to leave something behind, what is it going to be? Big fat bank account for your kids to blow? Remember, Solomon talked about that a couple weeks back. Yeah, that might be good. But is it great? Is it, is it what he needs? Now, as we look at this list, they're all from the side of 
not thinking about death. The opposite problem. If we ponder death too much, when we overvalue death, it leads to the, oh, why bother? If I do anything, I'm just going to die anyway. That's what happens. We overthink death. It becomes, what's the point? I die, somebody else takes my job, and they change everything I've done already. It's true. There are very few people that are remembered very long after the time they die. Most of us couldn't name all the kings of England. Might be able to name a couple. The pharaohs of Egypt. You might remember a few of the emperors of Rome. How about the presidents? You remember them all? What they did? Maybe the current ones. <laughs> it's true. When we die, our, we're forgotten. Not long. But that doesn't change the impact we have. Just because people don't remember it. See, this is part of what we get caught up in is the fame. The whole idea of making a name for ourselves. This isn't a name that we want, should be wanting to make for ourselves because God knows our name. If it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, he already knows and has already made his judgment on us, isn't he? But when we are looking to be famous, well, things get out of whack. But the impact, why bother with anything I do? It's all going to pass away. True. But the impact on people, think of the, the other day was uh, William Tyndale Day, commemorating the day he was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. Every one of us are impacted by his sacrifice. Dead and gone. Maybe some of you don't even know who William Tyndale was. But you got an English Bible in front of you. You have him to thank for that. See, now that's impact. We don't know the impact we have. It may not be the scope of William Tyndale. But it may be that one life of that one kid that you helped out one time. And who he had, who his children were or whatever. You don't know where that snowball goes and who they become. Somebody did something to make William Tyndale become <coughs> that guy. And that may be you. We don't know. Are we making an, an impact? Are we getting involved? <coughs> it may be your children that are that. It may be your spouse. It may be somebody in your community but if we don't plan, it's going to be pointless. Comments, questions? I told you it was heavy. All right, a couple of things to take with us. All people must prepare for death. Uh, I'm not talking about picking out coffins and services and all that. Yeah, it's nice if you can do that. If you got it all sorted out, it makes it real easy for the people 
who are left behind. But even beyond that, what is it that you're leaving behind when you go? Are you leaving nothing but material possessions? Or have you left a legacy of changed lives that you've impacted? Not just children, but even adults. I can tell you that there's a men's group that meets on Saturday mornings, and there are a lot of changed lives in that group. And it's because of Rob Kurtz. He has spent a lot of time developing that group and the, the materials he picks out and all of that. It's time that he's taken to make it. Are we prepared for death? He's going to have all those changed lives that he's going to understand how they all fit together. Secondly, we can live with hope and purpose knowing that Jesus defeated death through his resurrection. That's the part that Solomon didn't get. I don't know that Solomon had a whole lot of hope as he came to the end of his life and he began writing this book. So many people think that Ecclesiastes is depressing. It's not. If you look at it in view of Christ, it's a hopeful book because everything else is pointless unless it's for Christ. That was the whole point that Solomon tried to make. It's not depressing unless you don't believe. But when you do, it puts all those things in their proper perspective, including death. And when we do that, we have hope and we have purpose. Lastly, we should treat life as precious, making the most of our lives for God's glory. That means commitment to our relationships, whether they be wives, husbands, children, extended family members it means knowing all of our what our stuff is for not just collecting and hoarding but using and enjoying whether for our enjoyment or other people's enjoyment I mean imagine that you have great stuff and you share it with others I don't mean necessarily giving it away but enjoyment of having company at your large enjoyable house Helping somebody out with a ride in your nice, fancy car. Maybe you've got great cooking skills and you share meals with people uh, and have them over and enjoy time. All those things bring glory to God and make our lives purposeful as we do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us life and that you didn't make it a drudgery as in some cultures it seemed that we just serve the gods and, and are ground down in it. Father, you gave us everything we have for us to enjoy, whether it be the beautiful sunsets of each and every day or the sunrises of each and every morning. Lord, to the whatever level of wealth you've given to us, you gave it to us to enjoy so that we can glorify you through it. Lord, help us Help us to live in view of our end. Lord, help us to remember that there isn't tomorrow necessarily and to live here and now and look for the most useful ways to live for you. In your name we pray. Amen.